Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It is Friday, April 16th. Derek Van Riper, Eno Saris, Britt Giroli, the whole band back together. It's actually been two full weeks since the three of us were all on the same show together. So it's good to be back with both of you because the three-person show is the most fun show of the week. It is. I missed you guys. Eno, you look rejuvenated, relaxed, <laughs> rested. I'm sure you're none of those things. Eno is back. I wasn't. I wasn't. I got, I, I ate terrible food for a week and fell out of touch and didn't sleep well because we're all in one hotel room and in one little car for 2,500 miles. But now I've run 25 miles in the last six days. I've got my body back. I feel a little better. I'm going to drink some beers tonight. Everything is good. <laughs> Flushed it all. Vacation from your vacation. I always feel like that too. I give myself like that buffer day. Because you always, yes. you always need a vacation from your vacation. It sounds weird, but I know everyone here and everyone listening can relate. It's yeah. it's a totally different world. Especially, you got to get especially back. Especially with kids. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> got to transition back into the normal day-to-day life. A lot to talk about in this episode. We're going to talk about pushing the panic button. There are a few teams that are off to poor starts or at least have shown some considerable warning signs with some areas of their roster that are particularly important to their success this season. Talk about a few fast starters and whether or not their fast starts are real in any sense of the word. Uh, We're going to get to a Twitter question that was bouncing around. We'll talk about one player for each of us that we wished would have had an injury-free career because I saw Grady Sizemore trending on Twitter, clicked through, and that was the prompt. So we'll talk about that. Talk about some things that have us in awe this season, and we will share on-base celebrations because we're seeing some new ones with the start of the new season. We'll share what we would do if we were ever good enough to, you know, put a ball in play and find our way out to second base in a major league game. So uh, lots to get to. Let's start with the panic button. Let's start with the Nats. I feel like we always start with the Nats with Brit, and that's not fair, but (laughs) look, you covered the team for several years, and... They are interesting because they've got star power. The problem they have right now, I think, is twofold. Steven Strasburg has reduced velocity. Eno and I talked about that a bit on the rained out, Comcasted out Wednesday installment of Rates and Barrels that we did on Thursday. Uh, But then Patrick Corbin, as soon as that episode went up, proceeded to get blasted by Arizona. And he was bad in his first start against the Dodgers as well. So you got two starters with the Nats really struggling right now. Their strength when they're good is having a strong rotation. If you take two guys in that group and make them below average starters, even just average starters, that's a pretty big blow to their hopes of hanging around and surprising people to win the NLE. So, Britt, what have you seen from Strasburg and Corbin so far? Because of the two, my gut reaction is to be a lot more worried about Corbin because he's got less stuff to work with. Yeah, although honestly, watching Strasburg rub his shoulder in the like the dugout, which they got mad about and covered the next game, um, watching him kind of rub the area between his neck and his shoulder for a guy who's had so many injuries it, it is alarming too. So I think I'm equally worried about both of them uh, because Strasburg, this team goes nowhere without Steven Strasburg. You can argue they go nowhere without Patrick Corbin either. Certainly the two of them together is alarming. And I put that game on yesterday from the start, guys. And early on, it was like, okay, maybe Corbin's getting ambushed. That's happened to him before. It's actually, 
uh, happened to Max Scherzer a lot. The first inning historically with a lot of really good pitchers is the inning to get to them, right? While they're settling in, um, trying to figure out the strike zone, trying to get a feel for all their pitches. Uh, but Corbin never settled in. And this isn't isolated. Corbin has had a rough start to the season. Also had a late start to the season. And John Lester is still not part of their rotation. I mean, we are now, what, more than two weeks into the season. And you're still missing part of your rotation. The rest of the guys aren't going. As you mentioned, Derek, the Nationals are built on this philosophy of starting pitching. This is how they won in 2019. They put their starting pitchers in the bullpen to throw in the World Series. That is how much they believe in this. This is what Mike Rizzo does. And you can't just go out and buy another start, uh, buy another Patrick Corbin, buy another Steven Strasburg. I mean, these are frontline guys. And I'm curious to see what Eno thinks because Eno, I kind of had them, I was much higher on them going into the season than you were. You did kind of that rotation ranking. And I think a lot of people were surprised that the Nationals, you had below several teams in the NL East. Um, and I'm wondering, did you kind of see this coming? Were there things that kind of troubled you about this rotation other than mileage and, and relative age on a lot of their arms? I mean, I think it was it was also tied into that piece that we did about developing velocity, but really that was a piece about developing pitching. And um, I think when I saw that, it opened up my eyes to how bad I think the Nationals are at developing pitching, developing you could say developing relief pitching, developing any kind of pitching, but particularly developing starting pitching. And um, like, I, I think Joe Ross has had an, an okay start, but I just don't, I, I don't really believe in him long-term because he's a two pitch pitcher without the kind of command that Corbin has um, and really hasn't really developed a great amount of velocity. Voth has taken a step back. Um, I think, you know, Fetty is, is not a great pitcher either. So, you know, between those, if that's your depth, did I say it wrong? No, no, no. It's just like, nope, this guy's not good. This guy's not great. Uh, no panic in D.C. <laughs> Sorry, I've liked Voth before. And, you know, when the velo, if he can get the velo back up and maybe, you know, there's there's still some potential there. But I, I don't know if they're going to be the, the team that, that gets it out of him. Yeah. Um, in any case, I, I, I looked at the depth and was like, this is a pretty old rotation. They're going to need the depth. I don't see them having the depth. Um, and so I, I would have put them top 10, but we were kind of talking about top five and I just, I didn't think that they were top five. I'm glad you brought up Austin both because I got text messages from two other organizations this winter asking about him because I think a lot of organizations are wondering, he goes in with this velo and then he loses it. And I think you can't blame the nationals for all of these guys, but Austin both to me is a great example of development because he works out, I believe at Eric Cressy's in the winter, that velocity goes up. He arrives at spring ready to go, and then it slowly declines. Now, who's to blame for that? It has to be the development structure and the way the, the program is structured around velocity, right? I mean, to me, that's what it would seem to be. And you're kind of hinting at if you were to go to Tampa Bay or go to, you know, Milwaukee, like what would they do with an Austin Voth? Um, I think we all kind of like their chances better, right? Could he do better under a better system? Uh, I just think it's interesting because there was a bunch of interest in him as a buy low trade candidate this winter. Yeah, I think one of the the key problems here with this Nats team too is that they don't have the prospects stockpiled that they can trade away to fix their flaws on the fly, right? They have to find corrective action with both Strasburg and Corbin. They have to get those guys right because they can't add big ticket players to this team over the course of the season. They just don't have enough young talent to give up to make it happen. 
That speaks to scouting. It speaks to draft position, uh, which hasn't been great for them because they've been a winning team. But it also speaks to player development. You know, it also speaks to their ability to turn out players. Because if you think about like the Dodgers, right? The Dodgers haven't had good draft position, you know, but they develop guys. You know, they they always have somebody to trade because they're they have these pop up guys. Why do they have pop up guys? Why did Tony Gonsolin go from 39th round pick or whatever to to being like a viable starting pitcher in the major leagues because they said hey why don't you do this do this why don't you like throw this why don't you you know do this so you know they're 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 pretty good at coaching their players and I just don't see that from the from the uh, Nationals I think um, I'm not saying that like the cart like Carter Keboom if he fails is like all on the Nationals you know there, there is some you know the player himself has some part of it maybe they just he wasn't as good as we thought he was whatever uh but there should have been somebody else that popped up next to Keboom right there should have been yeah. like oh we thought it was going to be Keboom but instead it's this other guy that just like popped up out of nowhere and because we're good at player development you know instead it's Zach McKinstry the Dodgers just have like Zach McKinstry's they just like Wake up and they're like, oh, what's this? Oh, a Zach McKinstry. <laughs> yeah. No, you're right. It, it's, it would be a curious story to write is like how many teams have had success past the seventh or eighth round, right? Because that's where the yeah. real, to me, like the three of us on this podcast could probably pick through the first round. Maybe even the first couple if you're like Keith Law and you've done your research. A uh, lot of consensus, right? Yeah, yeah. But, you know, Buck Schulter used to say this all the time is that scouting directors and all the people, you know, in that realm earn their money in the later rounds. There's a big leaguer mm-hmm. in every in every round. So who's going to get them? Right. Who's going to find them? Uh, and you're right. The Dodgers have a lot of depth and they're a good team. The Yankees are another organization that consistent never tanks and consistently finds those guys. Right? These guys pop yeah. up. Um, you know, even the smaller market teams you have to give credit to. Cleveland seems to always have these guys as well, and they're not they're not consistently picking in the top five or anything. So uh, you're right. Where are the where are the Nationals pops? Where's the random 12th rounder who comes up and, you know, all of a sudden is their stud eighth inning guy? They just don't have that. Where is their Trevor May? I, you know, I, where are these guys? Dustin May. Yeah. Uh, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, but Max, Max, is, uh, Max is looking good. Um, Strasburg, I think it's just a health issue. So we did talk about how he's throwing the sinker now. That can't be good, good for Strasburg because it's like, you know, he used to have a four-seamer with great ride. Now that's kind of gone. And that's a that's a multi year story. So that is age and health decline. Uh, so I'd almost rather he was hurt and went on the shelf and came back with a better better stuff. You know? Yeah. Uh, then I would be more uh, c- less concerned about him. The Corbin situation is really interesting because he still shows up as having above average command by command plus. He never had good stuff by by stuff numbers. Um, and so I just. He's trying to. Is he trying to throw a cutter? It's trying to. It's showing a little bit. Is he talked about it? Yeah, and but he's a, he's a guy who lives and dies off the slider. He's a guy who you know is yeah. what he's going to do to you, and he still does it, and that's what makes him so good. Is when he's picking up strikeouts on the slider. That seems impossible for like fifteen years. You know what I mean? Yeah, to to, to keep that. Well, Mariano Rivera would beg to differ there. You know. <laughs> Yeah, but he was doing one inning, you know. <laughs> He's true. doing one inning. True. I think getting getting through five or six innings with two pitches just seems like a a, a a huge lift. I would never have given him that contract. Yeah, it's going to be uh, in D.C. through 2024 as it lines up right now. So figuring something out important much uh, longer than just this season. Nats 3-7 and seven entering the weekend. 
bottom of the NL East for now. Can change your fortune pretty quickly this early, of course, but getting those guys on track, key for them. We got to do an April trade situation. Oh, yeah. No, Eno uh, has a trade no. for everyone to get mad about. <laughs> <laughs> is uh, Max is in his uh, final year, right? Yes. Yeah. Full no trade, though, oh. so you got to go somewhere where you think Max will accept it. Max Scherzer to the, get on your segway, zoom, 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 Yankees. <laughs> I think he would accept that, actually. I think he would accept that. Yes. I think it would be huge for the Yankees. It yep. would, we're, you know, we're going to talk about the Yankees in a second. I think it would be a big, a big deal for the Yankees rotation. It would change a lot of that, a lot of their, uh, the complexity of that rotation. Um, and the Nationals might get something fun out of it. There are enough young Yankee starters that they could, uh, they could do a quick rebuild, right? Because the, the Nationals want to be good again while Soto's there. So what they need to do is find some starting pitching quickly. Um, and getting something like, like, I don't know, mm-hmm, this might be too much. This is where people get really mad, but like Davey Garcia plus like, is that too much? You're making that face for two months of Scherzer. Okay, yeah. Uh, I don't think the Yankees are doing that. Okay. Okay. Let's aim lower then. King. King and Luis Heel, maybe. Yeah. King and Schmidt. Maybe. King and. And with Schmidt, maybe you can pull that off because we've seen injured prospects get kind of packaged into deals as throw-ins because there's a lot more risk associated with them. That might be the way the Nats can get that extra arm back that they wouldn't get if they were insisting on another healthy option. Then you still need a better pitching development program because they're young guys and you need to make them good. (laughs) So maybe they shouldn't. Maybe they should target something else in that system. They should go with position players. Or just just try the one-for-one. It'd be like, hey, we're just going to put it, let's just give us Davey. Because he's he's the most developed, mm-hmm. and we're yeah. not going to ask for anything else. Yeah. Of course, the Yankees want to be like, well, we'll give you these three guys in a ball that are nineteen years old. Yeah, right. Who the Nats are like? <laughs> well, we don't really know if we'll develop them. Well, they're not going to say yeah, exactly. that. But I feel like Eno right. and I are the and only ones guys sounding now this alarm. Soto. Yeah, I yeah, mean, we need guys now because of Soto. Yeah, but you're not going to you're not going to get anything for Corbin. I don't think you can get anything for Strasburg because at this point. Uh, you know, what the executives are saying is that uh, the, the hardest thing to do is to trade money away. Oh, yeah. That's why Corbin's not going anywhere. I mean, right. we're talking, and what, $23 Strasburg. million a year? Yeah. Yeah, Strasburg probably stuck there, too, for at least a while. But, okay, so here's my question for you guys with the Yankees. Cole, Kluber, Tyone, Montgomery. Right now, it's Michael King. Severino's still working his way back from Tommy John. We've talked about Garcia as a possible guy that could be traded away for Scherzer or for other pitching help, depending on what else ends up being available. Uh, Jonathan Loisega working out of the bullpen right now always kind of gets in that conversation for a back end spot. What are you, what are you most concerned about in that rotation right now? Who are you most concerned about? Tyon's been knocked around a bit, but he's got a ten to one K to BB in his first two starts. You know, Kluber doesn't look like he's coming back to Klubot levels anytime soon, but. Can he write the ship? You know, we were talking before uh, we were recording about Jordan Montgomery a little bit. I mean, who, who are you most worried about, especially of those middle three starters? Uh, I, I'll tell you the one I'm worried about least. That's Tyone. I actually, yeah. I think I've seen the velo is pretty good. He's a three-pitch mix guy. The stuff numbers and the command numbers are above average. Um, I've seen a little bit of what he's doing. I think... 
He's good. He was always going to struggle a little bit going from a Pittsburgh park to to New York park, uh, NL lineups to AL lineups. There was always going to be some sort of numbers adjustment there. But eventually, with the strikeout minus walks looking good, with the stuff looking good, I'll bet on Tyon to actually be pretty good. I don't know how many innings he's got, um, just because the two Tommy Johns. They'll probably be careful with him. Uh, probably do some extended rest i don't know if he has an option left but something maybe a, a, a phantom dl stint that sort of deal um but i like him kluber uh the stuff number is terrible right now it's at 86 uh the command um is actually above average but it's not to where he used to be and he never was like a, a huge stuffed guy but he was more of a command guy um so the walks actually bother me and uh if you look at his strikeout minus walk rate it's not good the walks are there um, but like, I think he might be able to get to manageable and have some great starts, which will light up my mentions. Cause I, I talked about his command being bad. Um, but, uh, I think he'll be okay. And, but there's a question of innings, uh, Montgomery. I'm actually kind of worried about because the stuff is really low. The command is okay, but, um, I don't think that he's ready to step in. So basically what I'm saying is they've got a one, a two, we didn't tie on, maybe a 2-3, and then a bunch of fives. That becomes more of a problem in the postseason when you shorten up the rotation, right? I mean, it might be good enough to get you there. It might be good enough to win the division if everybody stays healthy. But are you going to stack up against the best offenses in the American League with the rotation as it's currently built? I think that's where it probably breaks down. That's why you want Severino or Max Scherzer. <laughs> Yeah, 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 you're right. Because right now you're relying on Cole to go really deep into games. Otherwise, you're just screwed the rest of the week almost, it seems like, because no one else is giving you that length. I agree with you. You know, I think Kluber Kluber and Montgomery to me are a little more like warning bells, I think, because Kluber was supposed to essentially be their healthy number two guy almost, wasn't he? Supposed to kind of be that slot in or that's how they painted it. I'm also a little concerned mm-hmm. with the lineup. I know they're not going to all slow up at the same time, which is what's happening now, but they're not hitting home runs. And they've gotten crushed for being over-reliant on home runs. Right now, they're middle of the pack. Given where they play, given who's on this team, they should not be anywhere outside of the top 10 in home runs at any point in the season. That doesn't mean they have to only score their you know, they don't have to be over-reliant on the home run, but you've got those boppers in the lineup. And I think we talked about this on the show, like how scary their lineup is when healthy. And to see them 16th in home runs and to see their, their ground ball rate where it is, I think you look at this lineup and it's concerning. You're concerned for the bullpen because they're getting overused on every start that's not Garrett Cole. And you could see how this early panic in Yankee land has set in because there's really nothing besides Garrett Cole that makes you feel really great about this team right now. Well, I'm hoping that the injury returnees in Luis Severino and Luke Voigt will be big. But as much as I say that, um, with the Yankees team the way it is, you kind of always expect to have at least two guys of that stature on the DL. Yeah. Right? It's yeah. like, you're like, okay, Voigt and Severino come back and Tyon and Judge go on the DL. You know, like that's just how, that's how this team is going to be. Like you're always going to have two big stars on the DL, it seems like. So they should be able to get past this. But, uh, you know, I think maybe some of their depth isn't quite where it was before. I mean, going to Bruce... Um, at, at first, uh, you know, I think, I think I saw Jeff Zimmerman say that, uh, the comp for Bruce these days is, uh, a bad second catcher <laughs> offensively. Um, so, 
So there's that. Yeah, that's not cool. It's kind of like uh, the, the White Sox running Zach Collins out there at DH. At least that's not really happening anymore. So my question for you guys with the bats, Urshela, Torres, and, and Hicks especially, and Stanton have really been the big disappointments in that lineup so far. Judge's hit, LeMayhew's hit, Gary's hitting, which people are excited about, even though if Gary hits two homers and then has a passed ball in the same game, everyone remembers the passed <laughs> ball mad. for some reason. Yeah. No, Just you know what? I'm glad guy. you said that. So give, give Gary his due along with uh, Garrett Cole. Gary Sanchez has been a bright spot for the Yankees. Damn it. Someone say something nice. Kyle Higashioka has been really good, too. So the, the catching battery has been great so far. But All that thunder in that bat. Are you worried about any one of Torres or Hicks or Stanton or Urshela? Because I'm not. Like I, I default to their their respective track records. I mean, Urshela has a pretty short track record as a guy that they've sort of developed in his late 20s. But I think he's fine. He's a great defender. Doesn't strike out that much. Torres, to me, 2019 was real, what we saw from him. He's going to get back to that level. I know Hicks is striking out a little bit more than usual right now. But I don't look All at that them, group really. and have like a panic feeling. No, you're right. They're they're going to be fine. My concern with Stanton is like what Eno said. My concern is those two guys come back, somebody else hits the IL. So I do think the pitching is more of a concern than the lineup long term. Think if you're Brian yeah. Cashman, you I mean hitters. We always talk about this like it's April 16th. It's cold still. There's the wind factor. It's like we you know it's snowing in Denver. Uh, I know they're not playing in Denver, but as an example, the conditions in April are totally different than they are for most of the season. I don't think you panic about the offense, but to me, the, the pitching is the, is the bigger issue. Yeah, but I think they can get that rotation right as well. So while there's probably panic in the air on the Bronx, it doesn't seem warranted at this point. Uh, we have a player question come in from John. John's in a 10-team head-to-head mixed league, four bench spots, and he writes, it's making it difficult to carry Paddock right now. It seems his fastball isn't right and hasn't been for a while. I stare at him wanting to drop him, but... He can't bring himself to do it yet. Uh, what's the level of concern with Chris Paddock, who definitely showed us some flaws during the shortened season? I mean, I, I think about a guy like that, and in in a 10-team league, maybe you could justify cutting him. I think in like a 12- or a 15-team league, I still, try to wanna, I still want to try to stream him at home because it's still a great place for him to pitch, even with those flaws. We've thrown pitchers much less talented than Chris Paddock out there at Petco for a long time. Yeah, I actually see some improvement on his fastball, too. He's got some of the ride back. He just doesn't have it back to where it was in 2019. So he just still has some work to do. But the good news is he knows about that problem. He's trying to fix it. He's made some progress. Um, And um, the bad news is he's gone back to being basically a two-pitch pitcher. So I think with his command, the command still... Looks good. Still above average by command plus. I know it didn't look amazing in the last start, uh, but with his command, he can kind of make that changeup be a, more than one pitch because he can pitch to both sides of the par- to both sides of the plate. Um, I I am a cautious hold on him. Uh, I might not start him in LA, uh, but I'd start him maybe seventy percent of the time, seventy five percent of the time. Yeah, definitely not the matchup-proof pitcher that he appeared to be back in 2019 when he had that breakout. I think some of the the warts we've seen are real, but there's still enough there where you want to probably hold him. And in Dynasty, 
I think I this might be a great time, if you, especially if you're rebuilding and you're trying to get assets for the future. I think it might be a great time to feel out and see if you can get them for... I don't normally say you should trade for pitching in Dynasty, but you need pitching eventually. And there, you might be able to get him for fairly cheap. Um, and this might be a good time because he does... You know, he has worked on that curveball and um, and there there was a cutter there. So there is still a chance that a year this year, a year in the future, um, he comes back with like a cutter that works. Uh, the fastball has its ride back and everything clicks and everything, you know, will turn out a little bit better than you might expect because he starts with such great command. So I think he's a buy in dynasties. There you go. Hope that helps, John. Hopefully that uh, eases some of your concerns about what you've seen from Paddock so far here in 2021. All right, let's get to our next segment here. Is this real? We're looking for some early season surprises and trying to decide what to make of what we've seen here in these first couple of weeks. First one that caught my eye, guys. (laughs) It was a good effort. It was a really good effort. The first one that caught my eye on the stolen base leaderboard, Ramon Laureano. Eight steals already. Of course, that pace would put him like over 100 for the season. So the question is not, will Ramon Laureano steal 100 bases this year? Uh, But is it time to look into this situation, you know, and say, maybe Ramon Laureano is going to steal more than 20 bags or more than 25 bags with this fast start? Is, Is there any reason to believe the A's might have to be just more aggressive as a team on the base pass, given the way their offense is constructed this year. Well, uh, two good signs uh, for, for him and for the stolen base total, I guess, is that um, your a number of attempts actually stabilizes kind of fast. Uh, for example, spring training team attempts, stolen base attempts is actually sticky. So, you know, how often a team tries to steal in the spring uh, carries over to how often they do in the in the regular season. And if you are taking off a lot, you tend to keep taking off a lot. Um, the other thing is he's only been caught once. So uh, I think it behooves the team to say, yeah, let her rip. And then I think you're right also about that third aspect, which is that the A's are not an amazing offense. Um, at least not right now with Olsen and Chapman not necessarily hitting on all cylinders. And so I think that they may need to to push the, the game a little bit and, and try to get runners in scoring position quicker. Um, and that's going to be all part of it. Yeah, I think the over-under for, for Loriano at this point might be over 30. It's wild because he's run on different teams too. Early last season, Tommy Pham had a series where I think he stole four bases at the beginning of the season against Arizona. And the same kind of questions popped up. Everyone was like, oh, Tommy Pham might steal 30 bases this year. And when you looked at it, it was like, oh, actually, this was a matchup situation that he was really taking advantage of. But we saw Laureano get two against uh, Houston. I think it was, yeah, two against Houston. And those were two separate series. Three against Arizona. And three against the Dodgers. So he's running on different teams, different catchers. That, to me, is really encouraging in addition to the success rate being high. It could be a little sign of like what's going on in baseball, which is that we've gone away from emphasizing arms uh, on catcher defense because we want framers, uh, first of all. Um, and, uh, and then blockers second, probably, and then run preventers third, because there's just fewer and fewer stolen bases. So that, that part of the game just doesn't matter as much to, to, uh, talent evaluation, but robo umps are now approaching and they are in high a this year. They've gone from the AFL to short a to high a 
That means double A next year. I mean, if you continue the timeline, we're talking about uh, robo umps in the major leagues by like 2023 or something. Yep. Uh, which means all of a sudden that huge part of the catching game will just be taken out. And all of a sudden somebody like Real Muto will be will be a better option for teams. And then they'll start looking for offensive catchers um, that can block, basically. Uh, yeah. You could you could have the catcher sit further behind the plate now because he doesn't have to frame anymore. Yep. Well, I think baseball wants stolen bases to come back, too. I think they want that exciting part of the game to come back. Like, they're going to move the mound back, right, in the Atlantic League. That gives guys, theoretically, more time, more precious tenths of a second to steal a base. Uh, they've they're now, making the bases bigger. Yep, that's yeah. what I was going to say. They made the bases bigger. Yeah. I think they want that to come back. So I think you have to be careful in balancing what's good now for your team and then what new rules are coming, right? I think a lot of people are kind of anxiously waiting on that new CBA to see, okay, are stolen bases a thing? Are they not a thing? What, you know, what can we build our team around this? Do we care about framers? You're right. You know, the, with the robo imps coming, the way you evaluate catchers is going to fundamentally change a lot. And uh, I don't think people realize just how, what kind of impact that could have moving forward. Yeah, I'm really curious to see how some of the experiments in the Atlantic League go. Jason Stark uh, wrote those up earlier this week. If you want to check those out in detail, I mean, that's I, just where that's where Major League Baseball is going to tinker away. And the double hook, I think we talked about it when it was first put out there by Jason, where the, the DH goes away when the starting pitcher leaves the game. That, to me, if you're, if you're not going to have universal DH, that, to me, is a good compromise. It creates some interesting decisions that have to be made. It puts a value on depth, especially for teams. But doesn't it also just like keep Nelson, like make Cap Nelson Cruz plate appearances at like 450 for the year? Yeah, yes. that's the that's the downside. Yeah, late career David Ortiz, Nelson Cruz, guys like that, especially would end up getting punished by it. It really depends on what the goals of the game are. If the goals are to increase the value of depth then that sort of thing makes a little bit of sense. But if the goal is to just max out offense, then universal DH is easily the better way to go. Yeah. Well, um, you know, the mount thing I think is super interesting, and I'll probably have a follow-up next week because I'm talking to different people about um, the way the pitch coming across the plate will change because it'll be a foot further. So the angle, like if you just think about like, you know, the, the flight of a ball, the angle would be different. Um, and that angle being different, I think will do some things that people are, that may surprise people. Um, and so I'm thinking about looking into sort of a best case, worst case. There is a worst case here with moving the mound back. That is uh, pretty terrible. Um, so I hope that the indie league players, uh, you know, don't, uh, don't, have to deal with that worst case scenario. Um, and it's a little bit, it seems a little bit like experimenting on, on live human beings, but uh, that aren't being paid and aren't in this, aren't in the system. Um, that's not super lovely, but indie leagues get a little, have a little bit more cachet right now because there's fewer minor league teams. Um, and so there's probably better talent in indie leagues right now. And uh, people are willing to, to do this, to try and get back into baseball into major league baseball. I mean, it's it's really interesting, and there's also people like C.J. Wilson was. Uh, we were having a debate yesterday on Twitter about whether or not there is a problem um, at all in baseball that needs to be solved. Um, and I I understand that perspective, but um, I still think that people pay attention more to balls in play 
and that stolen bases and triples are the most exciting plays in the game, uh, or at least among the most exciting plays in the game. So um, I wouldn't mind having a few more of those. Yeah, it's interesting because we got a um, we got a question, didn't we, Derek, about pace of play and and baseballs and kind of what um, what we do there, like what actually happens there, didn't we? Yeah, there's a question. It kind of stemmed from Eno's article about the new ball, and it, it did a good job. This email came from Ryan. He wrote, if MLB wants to change the ball to decrease home runs, presumably to create more action with more balls in play, increased drag cannot be the answer. Part of the reason hitters soft and swing with the fences is because pitching is so good that on many nights, it's hard to string together multiple hits and score a run, let alone put up a crooked number. If ball changes increased drag, it enhances pitch movements and incentivizes play playing for the quick strike even more. So what do they do? Do they make the ball dead and smooth? Do they abandon ball changes and make fences taller and further away? Do they adopt slow-pitch softball rules and make home runs out if, outs if your team has already hit three in the game and your opponent hasn't? Um, you know, So y- you can go down this rabbit hole of, of trying to fix the game and create other problems, and you have, you have another variable that keeps changing in the ball that also could be causing some of the problems that you're trying to fix. And if you don't fix the ball, you might not be able to change the game in the ways you want to by making what looks like pretty different, pretty massive alterations to the game. Yeah, there is some news on this front. Um, was talking with Alan Nathan and Rob Arthur yesterday, and I think Rob Arthur might have a piece up today about it, which is that um, apparently drag is not up. I linked to Rob's work on that, and uh, Rob does excellent work, but he has revisited it, and apparently uh, related, it's related to the change in weight and uh, the change in temperature in April. Um, so drag is not up, which means that uh, basically they they just uh, changed the ball so that uh, it's deadened on the inside, but it's also lighter. And so the light, the fact that it's lighter means that there's higher exit velocities, and the fact that it's deadened on the in the inside means that given a certain exit velocity, it's not going as far. Which I think is is nonsensical. They should have kept the weight the way it was and deadened it a little bit, you know. Right. Yeah. Uh, giving them more EV just means that uh, basically we're going to see no change in home run rate. Is my guess because they they did two things and they cancel each other out. Now, what was the point? Like, what was the? I thought the end goal was to keep <laughs> more balls in the ballpark. Uh, well, they I, said that the point was to like you know better manufacturing, all but all in the name of better efficiency. But the ball is a thing that we can change to change the game, you know. Yes. And if we had kept the weight the same and deadened it a little bit, I think that yes, that would like part of the launch angle revolution is balls in the air are performing better. So let's put the balls in the air. If balls in the air don't perform as well, then you help baseball incentivize for more line drives. Right. Right. He mentioned moving fences back. That's never happening. Not in these stadiums. I mean, in some a lot of stadiums, they move them in. Very rarely. I don't. I don't think. I can't think of any off the top of my head. Can you guys where they move them back out? I can think of scenarios where they move fences in. I don't really love. Uh, I don't really love the mound thing either. Um, but I, I generally want to keep my mind open to changes in the game. Right? Like it's been a long time. It was the last time we did like a real major structural change in baseball it was like the mound going down in like sixty something like 68 or so it was a while ago so yeah. and and now everyone's throwing super hard and cj wilson i don't know it was not that much fun debating him because uh you know he's like 
I said something about like, you know, athletes today are different than they were before. Uh, we've gone from 89 to 94. And he's like, ban all hard throwers. I'm like, I Jesus. I'm not saying that. I'm saying small things. You know, let's yeah. do small things. I'm a fan of let's put the pitch clock everywhere and see if we get a little smaller velocity. Also, lightning the ball. We have uh, velocities just went up to 93.9 from 93.5, the biggest increase uh, year over year. And that was comparing to August velocities. So we were comparing this April velocity to last year's August velocity, and we got 0.4 miles an hour increase. That's, I think, related to the ball being lighter. Why did we do that? Let's make the ball a little bit heavier. Let's make the ball a little bit heavier. Yeah, Velo goes down. Ball a little bit heavier. Velo goes down. Pitch clock. Velo goes down. Let's get the average Velo down to like 92.5. Yeah. Pitch clock is such a huge one to me. Like Velo goes down. More balls put in play. You you get out of that like 18 to 20 minutes of just straight dead time um, yeah. in baseball. Uh, just, just get the batter in the just box. Get it. Like get the batter Lance in the box. McCullers the other day on Houston. I like Lance McCullers. Uh, it was a fine game, but I just couldn't help but notice how long he was taking between every pitch. <laughs> and he went like four innings. He didn't even go that deep into the game. But you're like, God, is this baseball? Four excruciating innings. They're already into their bullpen after that. Like, I think Jeff Passan had this. And it's true. Like, you also need to be limiting how many pitchers can be used in a game. Barring injury, Maybe. limit limit the amount of pitchers on a roster. Some kind it's of not crazy. Some you can kind have an active roster back. for the game. You can have yeah. an active roster for the game. It's like people have that in basketball, right? Who are the the, the players that are active for today's game? But what if you only make it twenty two? So they cut out some pitchers. That's right. Yeah, yeah. You can have a twenty six man roster, twenty eight man roster for the season, but any given game, you have to declare your twenty two. Right. Yeah, maybe if it goes extras or something, can unlock an extra player or something, just so there's enough guys to pitch if it goes that far. But I love that, like know. a video yeah. game, you unlocked an extra player. <laughs> but like the extra, or like the extra man of doubleheaders, right? Who's your extra man? Who's your twenty-two plus one? You know. Yep. Who are you going to use if this game goes more than nine? You can, you can have that player, and that player will know to be ready for that situation. So close, or, late. You know, they, one they can do one arm, thing. one bat. You know. Mm-hmm. You know, extra, extra, two extra guys. Yeah. I mean, they do it in foot. Like, don't they do it in football? Uh, I don't know enough about football. Uh, I know they do it in basketball. I know they do it in basketball. Who's dressing? Oh yeah, no, they have inactives for football. Yeah, yeah. There's seven seven players. It used to be eight. I think it's seven now that are inactive from the 53 man roster. And what do they do in hockey? They have like a don't they have like an emergency goalie? Wasn't there like a guy who like came in from the stands and was like, "You want a game?" The emergency goalie. It was, it was, it was one of the best stories I've read on the Athletic. It was. Um, oh my god, I want that baseball dude. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a great story. I mean, it's, so you know, Sarah those, says the emergency arm today. <gasps> those guys usually. It's 18th. <laughs> uh yeah i just love the image of like eat of like i don't know like i don't play video games so we're allowed to have them but like unlo- i don't know like unlocking the unlocking. bullpen <laughs> and like the gold coins go and you're like score goes up and you're like yeah we gotta we unlock the pitcher unleash we should the have like fury a, there should be like a stadium sound for it yeah. it's extra yes! innings <laughs> I mean, honestly, brought to if, you by master lock if we want to appeal to younger audiences we should make baseball more like a video game in general yeah, right. i mean yeah. <laughs> that was one thing that cj wilson said that was interesting was that uh in-game uh studio production like in-game sound production and stuff like that um could be used to augment the experience a little bit more than it has i you think that's true i mean i like that well you have to spend time I'm around like that young, that right young generation. <laughs> like you have to 
I think broadcast can do this too. Like the boots are very old. They're very uh, white. They're very male. You, you got to have a little more fun, right? In the age of like TikTok and all these little tiny Instagram reels and all this, like you have to be able to, I don't know if it's an alternate broadcast, but have these fun little things. They have them when you go to games, right? They have the, the stupid think little about, between innings entertainment for families. What about all the viewers at home? Think about the home run calls. They're kind of stead. Yeah, it's always you know like, and it's out of here. Out of here. Ah. I mean, I like, I'm not saying, I'm not I mean, talking crap on Gary Cohen. I'm just saying like, you know, <laughs> oh, I it's love not, Gary. No, no, no. It's not just, it's not it's, like, it's, oh, no. the Go. Mets are the best. Like we haven't had like a, we haven't had like an innovation, like the goal guy in, in, although that's gotten old in, in soccer, but, um, yeah, you know, but... like the whole like five slamma jamma, like, you know, like think, I think, you know, like, you know, like cool slam dunk calls, you know? Yeah. Uh, but. You know, yeah. I, I think that uh, there is something to be said for, and that people talk about like, oh, baseball's not great at marketing itself. It's baseball is this weird collection of local and national, right? Whereas you could you could blame MLB proper for some of the marketing choices choices, but I think they're actually trying. You've seen some of these cool videos they put together, right? Mm-hmm. Some of those are actually kind of cool. I like I like some of those yeah. videos that MLB proper is putting together. But then it has to float down to like the local scene because that's where that's your in-stadium experience is governed by the local team. Uh, your your even your watching experience if you watch most of the games is probably governed by the local broadcasting team. Yeah. Um. So you know they could do more like stat explainers. Uh. They could do uh do more with uh you know like yeah more in terms of sounds. Um. You know I'm not I'm not a producer. <laughs> no no no. But here's the thing. So. Here, this is an observation I have had in the first couple of weeks. I, I, I'm a producer of a different medium, so right. I, I feel like I can speak on this. I am not a doctor, but <laughs> but close to it. <laughs> but I am a veterinarian. <laughs> I think the problem is like if you tune into just about any local feed, it looks just like the other game you were watching. Like there's the if you turn into a Royals game or an Angels game. Or a Brewers game, right? You're same watching score bugs, same same score bugs, same like same types of conversations, same types of interviews same, with same tone. <laughs> the Swedish chef calls games for which team? <laughs> which which team brought him on board? That was uh, trying to do this, the the sound level. It's true though. It's, it is, and um, I mean, but yeah, it again. I'm sure it's a lot harder than we're making it out to be to fill the dead air on an eight to nothing game in the third inning. But you're right. right. Like the, oh, the, yes. The fancy yes, graphics, sure. the stories, the laughs. I just think there needs, I think people are afraid to critique. I think more and more you're seeing broadcasts get towards the, we only love our team. Yes, they're down 12 to nothing and they stink in this, the third inning, but like we can't laugh at them. We can't say anything bad. We can't say anything mean. And well, so you're really kind of in that one scope of, Okay, this is what we could talk about. Yeah, that's definitely one thing. And then another thing I think, you know, from our own personal experience, there's, there's something here like budget matters, right? Like, you you know, like you need you need people like that have money. What if MLB proper, MLB uh, writ large, unlocked some budget for yeah. local uh, broadcasting? Adding I don't know. to the production teams for, for all those I don't know if that, that, that works with like the way money flows and stuff. Like, yeah. You know, like, because would MLB be like technically giving money to 
like other organizations. But if they could sort of unlock or if MLB just like provided a consultant and they're like, here's our they did like, for example, MLB employed all the social media people and they let half of them go. Right. Yeah. Do you remember? Yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're right. And you know what? Like, okay, say I'm watching a Braves game and it's super boring. Give me a few seconds of a Kuna interview. Give me the Freddie yeah. Friedman like ESPN special where he's crying you about had his money. mom. Yeah, like get, like go right into that. Like here's Freddie Friedman. Like here's a thirty second clip of this while we're waiting for some guy to throw a pitch. What if you hired a? Uh, what if you hired two? What if you hired like a social media person and then just a broadcast consultant? For every team, right? And that broadcast consultant would have some would have production experience, and he would be somebody, or she would be somebody would that would go out and maybe do these interviews with the digicam, right? And and uh, have just a bunch of content, right? Yeah. And then then it's eight nothing. All of a sudden, you're like it's Acuna with his dog or something. I don't know. Right, right. Or you mic him up. You mic him up during BP, right? Like you can't do it during the game. You mic him up during PP, and it's eight to nothing, and you're like, oh, here's some jokes that they were making earlier. Like like, you have time to filter out so the inappropriate ones don't make it on. It's not a live thing. So we don't have to be like slagging on all the local broadcasting crews because I'm sure that at this point, I'm sure they're kind of skeleton. Here's the other thing: they're not traveling this year. I think that they need to be there. That's right. the other thing. They're doing it from I think screens. Yeah. Getting used to that last year, you can I think they they do a really good job with it. Like most of the booths, you really can't tell they're not there. Like they they just do it, but normally they do it well. They get to go into the clubhouse and talk to right. people ahead right. of time. Uh, hello. Welcome to the Rates and Barrels broadcast show. <laughs> <laughs> what the heck happened? I asked the question about Ramon Lariano, and we're trying to like, change the way thirty teams broadcast games. Like it's we should out do of a, control. I mean, it's probably a bad idea because the game will be four hours and super boring. But even a few innings, we should have live rates and barrels. We did it. Well, we tried to talked about it for the playoffs. Maybe we'll do it this year for a wild card game, a game that's actually gonna have to be exciting. It'd just be nice if it was like the only game on the schedule, but then. You know, it's so hectic in like the World Series. What if there's like a play-in game? That might be fun. Yeah. What if we just did Sunday Night Baseball better than Matt Vesker's and A Rod? Ooh. <laughs> All right, well, write right. us, write us, and tell us if you you enjoy us trying to talk over a game. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> and I'm not saying this is going to be easy. I think it's going to be much, much harder call a game, than we anticipate uh, with Vince Catronio last year, and it's 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 definitely not easy. And we'd have to try and uh, set up some some sort of roles for each of us. Well, I think the other thing to think about too. I, I go back to those KBO broadcasts ESPN started up last spring. They did a really good job rotating people on as guests. I mean, you know, you were on for for innings, and uh, Alex Fast was on for innings. Like there were all sorts of different people coming in just to talk about the game, and that concept to me would actually work. I think one of the cool things that I know the Brewers do this. I assume most teams do this too. Once in a while, they get David Stearns. Once in a while, they get Mark Atanasio, right? They yeah. they put they actually put people that you don't really hear that much from as a fan. They actually put them on camera and they you talk to them for an that. inning. Yeah. You could do more stuff like that, and you could do it with people outside of the organization in some cases, too. And I realize you run the risk anytime you're doing a live broadcast of bringing someone from the outside in. You don't know what you're going to get exactly, but you can vet people. You can... You can figure out who would be you could treat a reasonably every good guest. Game is a podcast almost. You know? Yeah, put the nerds in the booth. Put the nerds in the booth. But it does take some budget because when you go on on TV, they do they do pay you. It's a little different actually on podcasts and radio. You don't have necessarily the expectation of being paid as as a guest, but there is that expectation in TV. So, you, so once again, a budget question. 
and uh, and some some of this has to do with COVID. But it'll be interesting to see if uh, if there are any teams that kind of come out of this with some innovation. It definitely will be. There's a couple more is this real questions that I want to throw at you guys real quick. Uh, Jazz Chisholm off to a really nice start, hitting 258, 385 OBP, showing some power, striking out a little less than 30% of the time. He's drawing some walks, 17.9% walk rate early. A couple homers, three steals, Britt. We're talking about a guy that is tooled up and holding his own right now and a possible you know, position player star, like he has that sort of quality. When he's playing, you want to watch him. And I think that's a really good thing for the Marlins who need new players like that to emerge after they traded away a boatload of talent over the course of this decade. Yeah, he's really fun. And you guys have basically turned me into a nerd here, but I'm going to come up, I'm going to tell you some of this stuff anyway. His exit velocity is up. His barrel percentage is in the top 1%. Um, he's hitting a lot more balls in the air. So I think he's a guy based on, you know, these very early reads that looks poised to continue this success because of these numbers. And, you know, it's definitely the Eno influence, I'm going to call it. Because when I see someone do well, I'm like, well, let me check the advanced stats here. <laughs> let me see. Is it just a good week for him or uh, is this real? Uh, <laughs> is this real or not? That's a good old time newsy. You got the old time newsy voice there. <laughs> because you weren't thinking about it. You just did no, that's it. That's true. You just, it just happened. That's true. Uh, but I, I think he's fun. I think he's athletic. I think he's talented. I think. As you mentioned, Derek, he's great for Miami. He's great for baseball in general. He's a guy who, like we said, put a camera on that guy. Like, I would watch that guy do mundane things. There's a few guys, Tatis, Acuna, um, I would watch do literally, like, a rake the field. I mean, they're just fun to watch. Um, and I think Jess Chisholm, his hot start, I think is more than a hot start. I don't think he's going to continue at this clip, right? You don't expect Ronald Acuna to continue to keep the Braves uh, literally on his back and win these games. Uh, but I think he's going to not have this stark drop off. I think he is set up to have a breakout season. And I'm really glad that Miami decided it is Jazz Chisholm time and they didn't, you know, put him in the minors. You know, they, they, they committed to this is him. Could have gone with he's Birdie. Gonna, right. This is him. He's going to be our guy out of spring training and they're being rewarded for it. He's a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, one thing that also sticks out for me is in his plate discipline stats. Like he, he's not like I, I. This is I wish I had this for the minor leagues because you're coming up, you don't know why a guy strikes out, and this might actually go. There's been this long conversation between uh, Derek and I about why some players in the minor leagues, um, you know, strike out a lot and then come to the major leagues and strike out less, or or strike out the same amount, and then some players in the minor leagues don't strike out that much and then come to the major leagues and strike out a ton. Um, and there's, there's, there's like a kind of a tenuous link between minor league strikeout rates and major league strikeout rates. Um, and we've had some different theories on this and, and I'm looking at jazz. And one thing that's really interesting is he doesn't reach at pitches. Like he doesn't reach at pitches like, like Devers does, you know, he doesn't reach at pitches that like, like, um, uh, I don't know, Gary does. There's, there's other guys that reach at pitches way more. He reaches at pitches below league average. So he's actually very patient. and. I could see him being able to toggle that patience and aggressiveness uh, to keeping the strikeout rate where it is. Uh, right now, he's 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 one of the he swings at the lowest one of the lowest rates in baseball. Uh, but what if he sort of toggles that and says, "Okay, they're filling up the zone on me. Okay, now I got them filling up the zone on me. Bam! Now I'm going to be aggressive in the zone." Uh, so I think if there's some variability in there and there's some adjustability for him. 
Um, that's the key that we're looking for in hitters that we don't have a great stat for. And I've been looking for ways to quantify this adjustability. Like when you look at Juan Soto, right? That's like something I think that sticks out adjustability. He, he watch in one plate appearances, he learns something in the second plate appearance, he acts on it. Yeah. You know, there are other players who you, they need two weeks before they act on something. You you're know? right. You're right. A Soto does it between pitches sometimes. You'll see him step yeah. out and you'll see like they, and I think that's you what makes the special thinking. guys. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, you're right. It's um that would be another great like ding 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 here pops in Eno on the bottom of my screen with a graphic about like Juan Soto's adjustability there. Yeah, uh, right. Yeah. <laughs> or or even on jazz, be like, you know, he doesn't reach outside the plate. Yeah. I mean I'm trying to trying to sell some some broadcast teams on this idea. <laughs> <laughs> It's going to take some extra production work on our part, but hey, maybe there's a, a path. Where there's a will, there, there could be a, a rates way. and barrels pop-up. Yes! <laughs> It'd be pretty fun. It'd be a yeah, lot of fun, actually. All right, let's get to a few more topics. Um, this one was teased up top. So one player that you've thought about over the last 10, 20 years who you could give an injury-free career to. And I mentioned earlier, Griffey was a common answer I saw to this question. Grady Sizemore was the one that I saw this morning that that pulled me in. Uh, who would it be for you? One player who you, you watched closely and you thought, if that guy had only been healthy, he could have been even better than he was, or he could have exceeded everybody's expectations with that opportunity. Well, what about Mark Pryor? Isn't he kind of the poster child for what could have happened, what should have happened, what people think? You know, he was ruined by, you know, overuse and things like that. And isn't he kind of credited for part of the reason why we now baby pitchers? He was like a big part of that shift, right? So I look at him and I wonder, what if? And, you know, I, I actually got, he's a private guy, but I actually did get to speak to him a couple of years ago for a story. And it was weird. He, it wasn't, I guess, weird, but he predicated it on the story could not be about him. It was about guys retiring and how he was kind of forced into retirement but he spoke about that last time in triple a when he wasn't mark Pryor anymore as the most fun he had ever had just kind of you know he's supposed to be this and you're supposed to be that and um i often wonder guy i don't know if you guys think about this or if i'm just weird would you rather be this like highly touted person uh who never quite lived up but was still a good big leaguer or like an akil badu not right now akil badu but like a guy who nobody thought was really going to be anything and turned in a nice little career. Maybe like an Adam Eaton type guy, right? Like a late round pick. Um, would you rather be the one exceeding your low expectations? Or kind of still being solid. They're both right in the middle ground, right? They both end up around in the middle. But you were supposed to be better. I think I'd rather have the low expectations and exceed them. Than always kind of wonder, did I hit my... Everyone said I was going to be a future Hall of Famer. And I was just a solid big leaguer. Yeah, I mean, that kind of pressure, Bryce Harper's kind of in his own stratosphere in that regard, but people never seem to be fully satisfied with yeah. what he does, yeah. even though he's great. Like, he's he's on a Hall of Fame trajectory, and he has overlapped Mike Trout, and that's just too bad for him. Yeah, just never enough. I'd rather exceed the expectations, because <laughs> I just think that, I think those, like, expectations hang around you forever. I mean, it's part of every conversation with Harper, the contract, the, the draft position and all this. And he's been very good. Yeah. Like, so. remember Matt Wieters? He was supposed Yo, to be man. like this. So that's a great example, right? He had a solid, fine career. He was an all-star. He was a fine, fine, a couple time all-star, I believe. Uh, 
fine career, but he was supposed to be the guy who kind of saved the Orioles, right? He was on the cover of Sports Illustrated. Uh, that, to me, is a great example of – he was – you know, the Orioles have had a lot of those guys. Kevin Gossman, Dylan Bundy were supposed to be, like, these huge stars for them. Uh, but it's just interesting, right? I wonder – and no one has written this. Maybe I will eventually if you're listening – and you write, don't steal my ideas, um, because it's illegal. <laughs> it's not at all. <laughs> but, like, seriously, I mean, I wonder mentally how tough that is to not, to always wonder if you didn't get the, as much out of your talent and ability as you could have. Not even injury-related, you just somehow couldn't translate it. Yeah. But the interesting thing, it's interesting to bring up Mark Pryor, because... Um, you know, I think that on pitching, on the pitching side, there's a lot of names that come to mind. Um, and one for me was, uh, it's not that I saw him a lot. It's just that I've, he pops up in like queries and like historical things. Uh, a guy named J.R. Richard, um, who for the Astros struck out, uh, 303 and 313 batters in consecutive seasons. Pitched 275 innings and 292 innings, and then only pitched 113 for the rest of his career. Um, and he was kind of almost a harbinger of modern baseball, where he had these huge strikeout rates. That's 1978, 1979. He's striking out 10 per nine, um, and that just wasn't done back then. But uh, I wonder if we would be talking about him in that sort of Clemens uh, type stratosphere if he had managed to. Uh, put together a full career. Yeah, I, I think for me, any player that had a five-war season at some point and because of injuries never had a second one, that sort of player is the player that immediately comes to mind. So I think Grady Sizemore qualifies on that. Uh, Troy Tulowitzki is a guy that like, every kind of injury, it just seemed like yes. his body was betraying him throughout his career. Like What, what could he have been with a, a fully healthy career? Uh, for me as a Brewers fan, Ricky Weeks was one of those guys that oh, maybe was a little yeah, bit overshadowed yeah. because he was there with, with Prince and, and Corey Hart and J.J. Hardy, right? He came up with that group. Really interesting tools, really good second baseman, you know, had power, had speed, but had a lot of injuries that cost him significant time over the years, too. I think there was one more level that he could have reached uh, with some health as well. So definitely... No shortage of names on that list. We have two right now in baseball that are are going well that uh, that maybe deserve some mention. Uh, Jed Lowry and Mitch Haniger. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been having some real hard times with the health recently, um, and uh, and uh, you know, give them those years back. Uh, I don't know if they'd be Hall of Famers. It's not quite Griffey level, uh, but give them those years back. And uh, we'd be, I think we'd think very differently about them as players. Maybe David yeah. Wright, too, is a guy David that Wright. started to miss a yeah. lot of time with Ryan, injuries. You know and he was a Back. special player. Ryan Zimmerman is another one. People thought he was going to be this huge star. I mean, he's still playing, but they're kind of everywhere. Evan Longoria, wasn't he supposed to be this huge star to some extent? That's a little bit more, I think, expectations. He's been mostly healthy. Yes, he's been healthy. Sorry, I was talking about That's guys who didn't a... actually live up to that huge. I'm still stuck on my yeah. idea, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Man, lo- the start of Longoria's career probably better than people remember. I think this is yeah. this is almost the the penalty of having a long career is that your later years are generally not going to be Ortiz, Nelson Cruz levels of production. So when you are five, six, seven war annually to start your career and you're kind of a one to two win player for the back half of your career, people forget how amazing you were when you first showed up. Yeah, that's true. Let's uh let's get to one more question. This one's been 
on our minds going back to yesterday. Uh, if you were good enough to play in a big league game and you found your way to second base, we're not talking about a home run celebration. We're talking about you just hit a, a double to the wall, you glide into second base, and you're going to look back at your dugout. What is your celebration? What is your go-to move, right? We've got uh, the Braves mixing it up. Like you got the, if you're on YouTube, you get the hand and the, that's that's the that's the one that got us thinking about this yesterday. Mix it up, yeah. yeah. Mix it up. Remember the moose? What would you remember do? the moose year with the Rangers? I like the that? moose one. The moose hands. The moose one's good. If you're if you're not watching on YouTube, you should right now just for this. I think like yes. motorcycle. Yeah. Kind of like we're going. I think that's one. Yes. Yeah, I don't think I would do motorcycle. No, uh, because you just don't like motorcycles. It's not a mo- yeah. They're fine. They're just not for me. And that teams have no one. No one's really used the cha cha, which is an easy one, right? Like, oh, little, I like that one. Like, yeah, yeah. A little bit of a like a Victor Cruz end zone celebration yeah. brought to baseball. He would just what? do the salsa after touchdowns yeah. back in the day. What did uh, Derek didn't remember this, but maybe you remember this, Britt? Were the Red Sox doing something with their belt buckle? Were they yes. kind of like? I, yes, I think you're right. The year that they won. It was like kind of like a hitting motion. I think they were kind of referencing like the hips moving. Like yes, in the, in yeah, the, there was like, some little, yeah, yeah. I don't know if it was a belt buckle thing, but it's like a little hip salsa action. Slightly, yeah. slightly obscene. That's that's what I got mean, me thinking that like that some of these could be you know thought of as differently. You know, yeah, I don't um, mean guys like gyrating. Yeah. Um, yeah wait, right. the baby shark. That was the Nats. Was the baby shark? Which like oh, I've heard that shark, song right? enough. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the and, shark and, clap. And, and, that gets you into the realm of like, what is too much? Right? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Like, we're like the a whole like, woo, like, <laughs> it's like, come on, dude, you just hit right. a double. You're, come on, you're down five nothing, and you just double. No, but you want you want that personality in the game. But I, I think finding different ways to just have some fun is good, right? I mean, yeah. a lot of guys cross themselves, point to the sky, right? That's pretty common. Yeah, that's the easy uh, one. I, I think Fernando Rodney's old shoot the arrow celebration after good. finishing a game. Good. I feel bad because I was always so angry about Rodney not being a good pitcher. I know he had the one amazing year in Tampa Bay, but I, I spent so much time just being irritated that he was pitching in high leverage spots that I didn't fully enjoy how much fun he was having on the field. So that's something I'm, I'm trying to, to fix going forward. His entrance video in Minnesota was awesome. Like I, I want to go in there and, and try to throw 95 after I saw that. But I think I'd shoot the arrow at second base as a, a tribute to Rodney as one of the most uh, fun players on the field of the last 15 years. It, here's the well, problem, hope- though. The problem with those is once you don't like Rodney, they used to mock him like other hitters when he didn't like when he didn't do well, they'd shoot the arrow back at him. So like, oh, I, I, yeah. I, I'm here for that <laughs> level of petty. But like Juan Soto all the time, like gets like takes a lot of heat because he does the shuffle right the soto shuffle in between pitches not when he hits or any or not when he after he gets the hit but so you have to be prepared Derek, for that arrow to get turned on you so if you're like out there hula hooping after every triple you better be prepared for like trevor bauer to walk off the mound and hula hoop back at you you know which I, again i'm here for that i got my popcorn i'm ready for that what about the trevor bauer strut no oh, that's uh, the billionaire strut yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, it'd be interesting to think about, like, can it be turned back on you? Um, I love, like, on all of these, uh, I would, I, if I did something, it would definitely be ambiguous so that, like, there could be two or three different levels of meaning because it'd be fun to do something like that. And then, you know, your dugout is cracking up and the fans are going, what is going on here? (laughs) I'd love to see someone do like the escalator, you know, like moving down. 
Moving up. Oh, yeah. You gotta be careful because you can't get off the base. But like some of these guys have way better dance moves than anybody on this podcast. Let's be real. Uh, Wasn't so one I of the best ones the Adam Eaton and Howie Kendrick celebration in the dugout with the yes. car? Yes, yeah, that was good. Yeah, I wasn't sure if that counted, but yeah, they used to do that. Uh, like get in the dugout and do the little racetrack. Up. You could do that at, at, on the base, just be kind of like, but you'd just be one person. But you could, yeah, kind of, you could get off. You could be like, yeah, cruising, cruising in oh, the second. Oh yeah, they go cruising, yeah, right? Like cruising. Yeah. You, you could sit down and put your left foot on second base. So you don't get off the base. Use your right foot to hit the gas and and really get into it. I mean, now that that goes into the like, come on, dude. <laughs> now, let us know on Twitter what you would do because and this has been a hilariously. Way off script. We actually do plan to talk about baseball for a majority of the show. <laughs> Until it went off the rails. I kind of like cruising, dude. That's kind of right? good. Especially if you're Nelson Cruz. I think, honestly, oh, yeah. Nelson should get into that. Yeah, I think well, I would oh, uh, wait, I'm, pull the... One of my nicknames is Easy e right? So maybe... Uh... <laughs> I like that. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. Anything you do with your hands could very quickly be misconstrued <laughs> or else. misunderstood. Yeah. So choose very wisely. That's my uh, advice uh, because I was working on them this morning. I told you guys I was making a bagel and I was like, what am I going to do for this? And I'm like, anything I do with my hands is going to look really weird on Zoom and it's going to get screen grabbed and then it's going to just bounce around forever. Oh, no. Oh, no. I hadn't even thought of that. Nice. Oh, God. Yeah. So oh choose wisely, uh, that's friends. In, that's in there for our posterity. <laughs> <laughs> on that note, uh, we'll let you know before we go. We have a special going on, $3.99 a month at theathletic.com slash rates and barrels to get a subscription for The Athletic. That includes everything we do, including great reporting, like the latest piece from Britt and Katie Strang about the toxic culture in the Mets organization that goes beyond Mickey Calloway and Jared Porter. Uh, you can check out Eno's latest pitcher report, right? Not the stuff in command report anymore. It's just, it's a pitcher report. I wanted more flexibility. And you have it. So you got that going uh, on Twitter. She's at Brit underscore Giroli. He is at Eno Saris. I am at Derek Van Riper. We are back with you on Monday. Oh, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.